Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail. Today, this is an exciting episode, my friends, because today we are turning our spotlight on a topic that just continues to get hotter and hotter by the minute. And even in this podcast, we have a feeling you're going to see why. And that topic is, of course, checkout free retail. Today, we are joined by a company that is incredibly interesting in the space, and that company is Grabango. Grabango, if you're not familiar, is eliminating lines and saving people time through their technology. And we are joined today by Will Glazer, the CEO of Grabango. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's really great to have you. So I'm I, I'm thrilled. Like you have a really interesting background. But let's start. Let's start first. You know where we usually generally start, which is what is Grabango? What do you guys do? What do you specialize in? How do you fit into this whole checkout free landscape? You know, we we were founded around the idea that the worst part of shopping is the waiting in line part. So we all shop. We all buy groceries. We all buy potato chips at convenience stores. And we're there for the purpose of using the store, going into the store, figuring out what we want, and, and paying for it and leaving. And, and the waiting in line part is horrible. And so, so you mentioned our tagline at the open. Our mission is to eliminate lines and save people time. And we're focused on exactly that. I'm curious, too. Your background's really interesting. So what personally drew you to this? Because this isn't your first rodeo in terms of entrepreneurship. So I'd love for the audience, if you can, you know, give us a little bit on your background. What's your bio? And then what specifically drew you to trying to solve that problem that you just alluded to sure sure so, so i was i was born and raised in berkeley california the, the son of a, the oh my son of a god. professor and a psychoanalyst i will not hold that against you oh my god i think i think everyone told you that i went to stanford so we will i will not hold that against you for much anyway well, maybe know, a little I, bit <laughs> that's hilarious you know, actually, i actually grew up on berkeley campus thinking the stanford mascot was the rubber chicken that's what oh it my god was you're gonna game. kill chris oh my god oh my god i'm losing all my street cred right now with all my old friends just for having you on the show but no but that's awesome man that's great so going to school in either berkeley or stanford were both completely out of the question so i went about as far as way as i could get without leaving the continent which landed me at cornell university Okay. okay, awesome, awesome. Little Ivy and I, League. I did a triple major there. Oh, Ivy Jesus, League, did a really? triple major. Okay. Oh, yeah. C- computer science, mathematics, and physics. Okay, wow. all right. And, and the problem with Cornell, the big problem with most of the Ivy League is it snows there in the winter. So I had to get back to California. Okay. So I made my career in Silicon Valley, starting and running companies and consulting as others do the same. And so I've been around, I've been involved with a number of startups. Okay. The one, of course, best known to your audience would be Pandora Media, online streaming radio. Yeah, I feel like I've heard of and, that one. Anne, have you heard of that one? <laughs> I might have. That might or may not Somewhere. be an app on my phone. That yeah. Should be a question for how millennial are you? Yeah. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> We saw a degree of success with Pandora. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Pandora and Gerbango are sort of similar. And this was pointed okay. out to me by, by a friend of mine a few months after starting. Okay. They're both, they're both solutions to Will's personal problems. Okay. So <laughs> in, the, in the case of Pandora, I didn't really like what was on FM radio. It didn't suit my taste well enough. Mm. And the solution to it was a lot of nerdy mathematics and musicology wrapped in a user interface that was simple enough that everyday folks, including my mom, could use it. Mm-hmm. And Gerbango, really similar. So my, Will's everyday problem is I just hate waiting in line. I go to a store, I buy my groceries, and I just don't want to wait for my turn to pay. I want to I be first in line all the time. I want there to be no line. Right. And the way to solve that is sort of like Pandora, which is to say a lot of nerdy mathematics and algorithms 
And then the solution is super simple. It's super, it doesn't feel very computerized in the way that Pandora doesn't feel computerized. You just get your stuff and you, and you pay and you go and there's no more line. In both cases, I, I like to take the technolo- technological approach to solve problems everybody has. Was there a particular time, Will, where it was like, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. I have to figure out a solution. You know, you know I, I wish there was. And I almost have the opposite story, which is to say there wasn't a moment in, in the case of Gerbango where I said, I have to solve this problem. But once it got in my head that it was a solvable problem, now literally everywhere I go, I'm annoyed they don't already have it installed and working. <laughs> yeah, we feel oh, yeah. the same way, actually, based on our... <laughs> oh. It's so funny you say that, like, because based on... Ann and, I, Ann and I used to work on uh, Target Store the Future project. Uh, the two of us headed mm-hmm. that up, and... And I can't go into details on what specifically it was, but like for us, it's really hard to shop physical retail now oh, because of how many different ways we know it could actually happen. And to your point, it's it's equally frustrating. Although I do have visions of like integral calculations going on next to your head every time you shop, you know, a store or something like that. Some, some like a, a thought bubble, yeah, just like right, with complex <laughs> math equations. ones and zeros. Yeah, based on the triple major of computer science, know, mathematics, right. and physics. Right. So that is fantastic, which, by the way, is a first on this show. Yes. <laughs> and probably the only time ever we'll yes. be on this show. But that is fantastic. Well, I love that, man. So it's kind of like, hey, it's like there's a it's a life hack. It's kind of a life hack impetus for, you know, why you're doing what you're doing both in the past and then now. Talk about that a little more then. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the media. I mean, Amazon Go's definitely spurred a lot of this. I think there's a lot of myths out there about checkout-free technology, so how specifically do you guys look at that? So like people, a lot of times people say, you know what, this stuff's never going to work beyond 1,500, 3,000 square feet. Are those people right? Are they wrong? What would you say to those people? It's a great question. The checkout free experience that many people are familiar with is what Amazon built in the form of the Go store. Mm-hmm. And the Go stores, for, for those that haven't been there yet, it, it's an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. You walk in and you, you shop and you leave, and it's, it's, it's frictionless in, in every sense of that word. There's a little bit of friction getting into the store, but it's a, it's a fantastic experience, but it's narrow in a lot of ways. And so what Amazon did is they envisioned their version of the store of the future, and then they built it. And it's very much a, a inside um, program. They, they did it the way they wanted to. And they cut a couple corners that aren't super obvious by looking at it. Mm-hmm. And the Grabango business is, is aimed at something different. So we're, we're not building a brand new store. We're providing technologies to existing stores to meet people where they already shop. Mm-hmm. And that subtle difference in business plans um, has a lot of implications for the technology we built and how we use it. Mm-hmm. And I sort of roll them up in, into four broad categories. Okay. So, so the first is that we're designed for existing stores. And the reason we want to work with existing stores is, is it's the way to get our technology in front of the most people the most quickly by not forcing all of America to learn to shop in a different way. Mm-hmm. But if you want to retrofit an existing store, you can't do things like Amazon did. You, you can't assume it only works for, for stores that want to put a barrier up in front. You, you can't keep people out of the store. You have to be ultimately inclusive. All people have to be welcome. Right. You have to let the store continue to merchandise in a high-density way where, where products are literally touching each other end to end to end to end, and all the products are included. Number two, you have to work at very large scale. You have to be able to work in a 100,000-square-foot store with a 1,000 shoppers all picking up and putting down items simultaneously 
and 100,000 SKUs on the price book available for sale. Mm -hmm. You can't just pick the 200 that are easiest for you to sell and sell with something else. Right. You have to be super low cost. And so we designed mm -hmm. a hardware platform that, that's very much less expensive than anybody else on the market. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that it has to be inexpensive to work in the real world. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it has to be super reliable. So every component in our system is high reliability and it's all failed over. So the whole system is a fault tolerant design. So every connector, every power supply, every compute node is redundant with another one. And so if you're in a room and you look up and, there, and one of the light bulbs fails, you can continue working. You continue to do your job, albeit a little bit more dimly, mm -hmm. until you change that light bulb. The, the technological ability to transact a sale at a store cannot fail. Mm -hmm. it, it, it can be dimmed in the way one light bulb out can dim the system, but you can't just say, we can't sell beverages today because <laughs> the, the system on the beverage aisle went down because the connector failed. It's, it's just not an acceptable answer. Right, that's what's scary so for retailers, to, right? You can't, if you can't check out, you can't check out. Like, that's a big problem. Right, you, you just can't install any system that, that reduces the reliability. So it needs right. to be fault tolerant, needs to be inexpensive, needs to operate at a large scale, and it needs to work with existing customers in existing store settings. And mm -hmm. so those are the ways we're differentiated from what Amazon has done. Even though I have a ton of respect for it, we're doing something a little different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great use case or experience design for the use case for which it's designed. That's what we always say, you know, in, in terms of, you know, that ur busy urban profession who doesn't have a lot of time and that small for format works. But there's so many other ways to shop. I think what's inherent in what you've described to, or the word that comes to mind for me is optionality or option value too, in terms of, you know, you are, if you, you know, if you're a large grocer, you, you, you have a lot of demographics, a lot of generations of consumers you're trying to hit. And there is something to be said for not asking them to do something new. I mean, if you do, as great as Amazon Go is, if you go to it, Ann and I were just there in New York a couple of weeks ago, like it is different if you've never done it before. And so you've got to be used mm -hmm. to that. And, and, and not everyone might want that, but there are still ways to provide different shopping experiences. So, and I know you, so I hear that a little bit in terms of what you're talking about. And you guys also... You kind of have this, the way you describe it as, you know, checkout free is very different than checkout ready. Like, what does that mean in terms of that list of four things you just described? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that, that's a great question. And it's, it's it, Chris, you're, you've clearly done some work because you've asked some very subtle questions. So I, I appreciate that. No, yeah, no, I, um, this, is, this is literally our favorite topic yes. right now. So thank oh, you. Awesome. Awesome. I'm talking to the right people. <laughs> um, so yeah, checkout ready and checkout free are, are, are different. And mm -hmm. so... Checkout free is the sort of experience you get with Uber, which is to say you onboard yourself digitally by downloading a smartphone app, entering your credit card number, your email address, your name, and then you onboard physically by getting into the actual car, receiving the value you want, and then you exit the car and the transaction happens in the background. That's a checkout free experience. Mm -hmm. And we offer the analog of that in stores. You download an app, you go in the store, use the store, and you walk out and you get billed. And in parallel to that, we have a separate use case that we call Checkout Ready. Hmm. And Checkout Ready is, is designed for the consumer that either doesn't have a smartphone or has a smartphone but doesn't want to use it for this experience and either doesn't have a credit card or doesn't want to use a credit card for this experience. And so it's, it's the more typical user will use Checkout Ready. And they'll enter a store, let's say, for example, the day after Gurbango has been installed and as focused as I am on my day-to-day -day life on Gurbango, most people aren't. So most people will walk into that store and not know that it was retrofitted the night before. They'll shop as they always have. They'll buy the things they wanted to anyway. And they'll arrive at the cashier expecting the same checkout experience they've always had. 
but this time it'll be subtly different. There's no more need to barcode scan every single item one by one, which is the most time-consuming part of checkout. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that the Gravango system will have already downloaded the receipt to the point-of-sale system. So the, in a sense, the cash register knows what's in your cart because you picked it up, not because of the barcode scan. So it saves a lot of time. It reduces the lines, but it doesn't put any additional burden on the customer. And in particular, the customer continue paying with cash or food stamps or debit cards, whatever they want. Mm -hmm. We're not forcing people to use credit cards. They can use any payment methodology that they used before they can continue to use. Mm -hmm. The other thing I love, I love that for two reasons. I think one, it, yeah, there's a lot, there's a large swath of customers that don't have credit cards, right? right? Or access to that. Well, and, mm -hmm. has, and has been exactly the right. one of the biggest hurdles for checkout free technology, I think, is what do you do so that it doesn't require so much upfront customer engagement in, in the checkout free scenarios that Will mentioned earlier? And the other thing I love about it too is that, like, and this is the part that never gets talked about, which I think is important to bring up on this show, is like, at the end of the day, if you're like going grocery shopping, you still got to bag your items. Like, somehow you have mm -hmm. to convey mm -hmm. them out to a vehicle, and doing that yourself when you shop isn't always the easiest thing to do. There's there's a reason why we did it at the end to begin with is you get scale and bagging, right? Like you can just put it all mm -hmm. in your bag at one time. And so the way you're describing checkout ready actually speeds up that process, but then still allows that aspect of the experience to happen for those people that want it to happen that way. Yeah, exactly right. So, so what we're seeing is that the checkout ready shopper and, and, and the checkout free shopper too mm -hmm. are putting bags in their carts before they put the groceries in. Right. So you might you might enter a store and put four empty bags inside your cart mm -hmm. and then put the canned goods in this one and the produce in that one and the the refrigerator ones in the other one and you're bagging yourself as you're going. So there's no rebagging event at Ecto. You just walk right out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have the option to do it however you want. And, and over time, you have to imagine there's going to be cultural diffusion of like, oh, wait, why am I still doing this when all these people are just walking out the door? Right. I can do that too, kind of like we did with Uber in the beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like the airport. So, exactly. so most people stand in line for the TSA check, and a few people get the TSA pre and people get to choose. And, and with my background in personalization, right. I don't presume to know what everybody wants. I know what I want, but if there's 200 people in a grocery store, my guess is that they like different kinds of music. They probably want different kinds of checkout. And that's okay. You want to build a system that tolerates that. Well, you know what's really interesting about that? That's so funny that you brought that up. I've never thought about that in this conversation, but I've talked to some of the people when they were first installing the kiosk, like the self-checking self kiosk, yeah. so to speak, the airport. And what mm -hmm. they said, which to me was really fascinating, was, we ended up having people man the stations there just to man them only to give people the psychological confidence that it was okay to use this other system. Yeah. Right. And so you're almost kind of <laughs> grafting right. onto that in a lot of ways, which actually uh, now that I think about that's like super brilliant because you've already seen that that's, that's how people's consumer psychologies work. And so you're giving them mm -hmm. either option mm -hmm. and over time they're going to choose the one that is the probably the most convenient and most efficient for them. Well, especially because Grabango has, like you were saying earlier, Will, like Pandora, it's just, it's running in the background. It becomes part of the entire experience that people are used to. It doesn't require, I mean, you have one segment of people who are who love Amazon Go and think it's great and like scanning in and like the, the gamification of it on that end. But ultimately, I think for the people that are experiencing Amazon Go that we witnessed in New York for the first time, like it's just the convenience of walking in and out of there and doing 
doing their normal shopping. But like Will said, eliminating the the friction point at the end is the biggest component. Like, how do I just get out of here mm-hmm. and get out of here quickly? Especially when you know it can be done. But Will, okay, so let's just yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, t- I'm totally with you, man. And I think that's the reason why the self checkout stations have not taken over. Is right, right. They're hard to use. It, yep. it shifts the work from the retailer to the shopper. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I'll take on that load. If I'm in a hurry and there's long lines, I'll take on the load myself of buying my four things. Mm-hmm. But I know that I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing the work myself. And, yes. and some people want that, some people don't. And different times of the day with different sizes of the shop, I want different things. Mm-hmm. And even more work, especially if you have a lot of items, you're not trained on the system. Yeah, no. And I used to buy right. groceries oh, for yeah. a living and I still can't use those things. Like it's not easy. They're hard. They're hard. It should be. It should be like Ann said. It should be in the background and easy. Yeah, exactly. You just show up and there it is. But okay, let's let's mm-hmm. call it what it is now. So I have to ask the question: Like, how are you guys doing this actually at say a large scale? Like, you know, it's one thing to talk about it. How how can you do this in say a forty fifty thousand square foot grocery store? What is the secret sauce that you guys have here? It's a good question, and it's got to be cheap and it's got to be easy. And mm-hmm. the reason. Not, and not just for the user, but when I say that, I mean for us and for the retailer. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a system that we can install quickly without a lot of labor because many grocery stores don't close. And so you're installing at 3 in the morning around the forklifts that are restalling. You just can't take a month to install the thing. You've got to be in and out in a hurry. Right. And it's got to be cost effective because grocery stores don't run on a, on a wide margin. Food, food is a low margin business. And so you can't charge a lot. So you've got to mm-hmm. keep your costs down. And so we designed our own hardware for exactly that purpose. So we, we have hardware that hangs from the ceiling, and there's nothing else in the store. There's no, there's no scales in the floor. There's, nothing, there's no depth sensors in the shelves. The shelves are completely unchanged. All we're doing is hanging things overhead that look a little bit like lighting fixtures. We hang them in, and then we leave, and that's all there is to it. And that mm-hmm. keeps our cost down, which makes the operation integration easy. And then how, because these are always the questions that come up, how are you guys processing the increase in SKUs? Uh, getting the computer vision accuracy that's required across that size of a footprint, and number one, and then how also, just because everyone always asks it, and I, I know you guys have a good answer to this too, how are you guys handling like this, the, the items that still need to be weighed and measured, which I think goes back into our past conversation too. But So those two things, how are you guys, how are you guys accomplishing those things? We don't talk about the details of the algorithm. That's proprietary I stuff. Figured I figured that. Talk, I could talk at a high level about yeah. how it works. Yeah, yeah. That would be Sorry great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that we would be able to Come comprehend on, It's that. a national show here, Will. Come on, give it all away. <laughs> give it all away. <laughs> well, well I, I can tell you about how we think about machine learning because it's a awesome. machine learning system. Okay. And so we, inst- we install the system in the store, and there's some things we understand how to process day one. So... A can of Coke is a can of Coke is a can of Coke, and that's true the world around. Mm -hmm. They all look about the same, and we've got that right away. But a specialized brand of organic, mint-scented shampoo in this unusual bottle is a product we may not have seen in this new store install. So we need to onboard that in real time very quickly. Mm -hmm. And the machine learning system is designed to focus the learning energy of the algorithm on the new thing and process the existing thing very swiftly. So the machine learning algorithm is all about efficiently devoting compute time where it's needed. And produce is handled in two different ways. We have a a very sophisticated system for handling produce that we've not yet rolled out. Mm -hmm. So holding that back. But today, the way we're doing produce is the cashier is weighing the produce. Mm -hmm. So we know that that's a bundle of rhubarb that's the non-organic variety. So we know the PLU code, and we don't know the weight until the cashier weighs it mm-hmm. or the consumer weighs it. Mm-hmm. 
So it still needs to be weighed manually today. Mm -hmm. Which goes back into why mess with the experience design if you don't have to. Uh, make right. it part if of it. You don't have to do it, don't mess with it. Right, exactly. Yep. Okay, got yep. it, 100%. So what can you tell us then in terms of like where you guys are at as a company, um, in terms of customers, any big announcements here on the horizon? Yeah, in fact, we're at a super exciting juncture in the, in the history of the company. So we, we were started in 2016 okay. and we began as a, as initially as a patent portfolio, filing intellectual property. In 2017, the company began growing and we built our first proof of concept store. And the proof of concept store is in 2017 was sort of where the others are at today, which is to say it's a small store. You can go in a few people at a time, buy some stuff and leave, and it kind of shows that the system works. Mm -hmm. And since then, we've been working on scaling and deployments and hardening the system for retail use. And towards the end of last year, we began signing deals with U.S. majors. And so right now we have four deals in place, three with top 30 U.S. grocers, and one with a top 10 convenience store. And all four of them are large organizations that we're super proud to be working with. And the incredible frustrating epilogue is I can't tell you their name <laughs> because the deals are all confidential right. until today. Oh, so wow. Today oh, man. Locked out. All right. Until today. So, so I, I am making an announcement on OmniTalk. Awesome. That, that we're partnered with Giant Eagle Corporation. Awesome. And... Giant Eagle is a phenomenal partner. They operate stores from 3,000 square foot up to north of 100,000 square foot, and we're doing a pilot with them to show how our technology works with their operation. And the great thing about Giant Eagle is they've been in this business a long time, and they're really good at the core work of being a retailer. Right. They know how to do the operations part. They know the supply chain part. They know how to serve the customer. They know how to run their business extremely well. And we're coming in with our piece of technology to streamline the exit experience and do this checkout free and checkout ready shopping for them. It's the best partnership I could have hoped for. They're they're a phenomenal partner. That's awesome. And where when when you say pilot too, what's the time frame on that as much as you can tell us, or is that still being kept under wraps? So it's installed today. Okay. I can't tell you the specific store location, but it's in one of the locations. It's oh. installed today. It's been working it's been up and running for a while. We're collecting wow. data and we're doing the machine learning training cycle. Okay. And I can't tell you the day it's open to the public. That's up to them to disclose. That's not on me to Got it. To okay. That. But it's already yeah. you're already installed and the and the data's being processed. Yep. yep. Can you tell us how big the store is? I can't. Okay. okay. No worries. That's fine. You gave us a I range. I I'll, I'll come up I with want my own. to. <laughs> I really want to. <laughs> well, either in either case it's a it's a giant eagle so we can make our own assumptions of what size it is. But yeah, I mean, right. congratulations. <laughs> well, that's I mean, that's a really big accomplishment. I mean, certainly something that we haven't seen in the, like Chris said, the years that we've been really focused on this uh, trend and just researching all of the complexities that go into opening a space in a space this size. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, where does that put you in the Parthenon yeah. here? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think back, actually. Like, I don't feel like I've heard of an announcement of that size and scale at this point. I mean, I think I've heard of, the, you know, the small micro concepts, which I want to ask you about too, but um, and I think I've heard of like some small micro concepts with bigger groceries, but that kind of puts you in rarefied air, doesn't it? If I'm not mistaken, not to toot, it not does. to give you a chance it to does. toot your own horn, but it does, right? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so there's two ways to do it. One is who has the most square footage of stores open to the public today? 
Okay. And the answer there is Amazon Let's Go. Let's go. Okay. Amazon Go definitely has the most locations and the most number of square feet today. Sure. If you ask the question, who has the most number of square feet installed, it's us by a fairly wide margin. So the number okay. of square feet of shopping floor installed for us is greater than the sum of Amazon and everybody else combined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, 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 the reason our number is bigger is because we're going after larger footprint locations mm-hmm. in there. Each, each of the Amazon Go stores is, is smaller. So, so, and, and there is no third in, in either in either ranking. Um, so, so we're we're pretty far ahead of the pack that's not Amazon Go, and we're even ahead of Amazon Go if you only count square footage. But I want to hedge a little bit because we're not operational and they are, and I've got a ton of respect for that last yeah. mile. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a really exciting time for the company because in the life of every startup, you go from the idea to build the prototype proof of concept quietly in your own building and only let a few people see it <laughs> to that moment where you hit the real world. And that's the, you know, that's when you hit the throttle and you're just like, the thing is taken off and it's super exciting time. Uh, we know that. We're, we're excited to be there. We, yeah, we know that well. We actually just opened up our retail technology lab in Minneapolis yesterday. So we're living that ourselves. <laughs> we know exactly how you feel right oh, now. Yeah, okay. If you it's hear any tiredness, a, a in blessing and a curse. Yeah, you realize a you've made it over the hurdle yeah. and now that there's still a very large mountain mm-hmm. of work to do, but it's really exciting. You're right, but that's been a that's been a that's a thing. Yeah, that's been a deliberate part of your strategy though too, right? I think that's what was interesting to me in in first when I first started contacting you guys is that you know your some of your competitors have basically said you know what I'm going to go out and build micro concepts and I'm going to try to even brand some of them myself. You guys never went that direction, right? And and so why is that? Fundamentally, that was a business choice. Why did you make that? So we did the same thing they did technically, but a different thing they did in terms of marketing, right? Mm-hmm, so right. technically, we, we built the proof of concept store. They built the proof of concept store. Um, and the difference is some of the others open their proof of concept store to the public. And I don't really understand that decision. I mean, I understand it, it, it makes some noise and it gets people to pay attention. But then everybody can walk in and see your problems. And, you know, if we opened our first version to the public, and we could only handle five simultaneous shoppers, we wouldn't be able to close a single retail deal because there's no grocery in the world that wants to only have five people in their store at once, right? Mm-hmm. right. And so it, it just it doesn't make sense to me to start showing a thing before it's ready. It seems like a weird decision. Yeah, and it puts you in this weird competitive dynamic too, I feel like too, right? Like, you know, what are you trying to build? You know, are you trying to build for me, yourself? Like, that's just, it's just odd. So, um, yeah, interesting. Right. I think kudos to you for, for thinking about that early on. I think that's very differentiating. Yeah, I mean, I think it's this is only going to snowball, I imagine, from here. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. you said you guys are in conversations with, you know, some of the top 20 grocery chains and with uh, the top one of the top 10 convenience stores. I, I'm curious your thoughts. How long do you think it'll be before, you know, the majority of the U.S. population is just going into and out of a full-size grocery store, we'll say in this case, um, and it's just it's they're paying automatically, whether it's the checkout free or the um, the checkout ready experiences that you mentioned? Yeah, well, let me just let me just correct the setup. We're actually signed deals with three of the top thirty. So, so yes, signed deals. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And we're in conversation. We're, we're in conversation with others as well, but those are the ones we've signed. So even uh, faster. Again, we're not announcing who we're talking. Yeah, we're not <laughs> announcing who we're talking to. Of course. Yeah, of course. We've no. signed. In fact, the, the people we've signed uh, preside over a combined twenty-nine million square feet of, of shopping floor, which is just. It's just a lot. It's just a lot of um, grocery stores. Yeah. So as soon as the um, so deal signed, <laughs> yeah, right, right. So what does the arc look like? It's quick. It looks like the arc for cell phone adoption, for email adoption, 
for adoption of the light bulb or the refrigerator. It's, it's one of those things wow. that goes from I've never heard of it to that's really cool to I really like it to I need to have it. I presume it's part of my life. And it happens really quickly. Right. And the reason is there's not a lot of, of brakes slowing it down. So it makes economic sense for the grocer to operate this thing because it drastically cuts down on shoplifting. And so because it makes economic sense to the grocer, mm. food prices fall, so it makes economic sense for the shopper. Mm-hmm. And if the shopper has a choice of shopping at store A that's both cheaper and faster, and faster. they're right. never going to go to shop B. Mm-hmm. So now store A has this double incentive over store B. So store B either needs to get the tech itself or it's going to get acquired. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this really quick, unstable equilibrium when the technology is available and not everybody has it. So it's going to go quickly. And then shoppers are going to are going to go very quickly from, boy, this is a cool curiosity, to, yeah, I've used it three times, to I'm not going to go anywhere else because it wastes my time. Right. That's a big unlock for me in this conversation. It's like you're saying actually how we feel. And so that mm-hmm. means like, you know, if, we're, if three of us in a room are feeling like, I can't go shop traditional retail anymore because there's better ways, that does mean it's going to probably mm-hmm. happen pretty fast. I don't go to a grocery store in the last decade that doesn't have a barcode scanner because if the person has to type everything in manually <laughs> into a 10 key, that's going to take freaking forever. So I'm not going there. That That's like middle ages. What yeah. are, you know, like we can't, we can't subject <laughs> right. ourselves to that. No, no. But you, 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 you mentioned one, you mentioned one other key part there too, that I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you just to dive into it too, is like, it's the joint incentives, not only for the consumer, but for the retailer, like when you actually look at the retailers PL and as you guys have talked about, you know, and working with the clients that you are, what are the key selling points within the PL for them to be aware of for those listening or evaluating whether this is something they want to take action on? Yeah. So it's top line and bottom lines. So, mm-hmm. so top line, better experiences that you guys very well know attract shoppers, right? Your mm-hmm. shopper prefers to shop in the store. That's a better experience. 100%. And if you deliver a better experience, you'll start to steal shoppers from the neighboring stores. So that's top line. And then bottom line is your typical grocer, convenience stores are a slightly different story, but your typical grocer runs on a very thin margin, 1% or 2%, and they have a combination of shoplifting and employee fraud that's 2 to 3%. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it varies by chain and it varies by location within chain. So, mm-hmm. so I'm giving you super average numbers. No, that's great. Those but are, it's not consistent. A, but it, it, it's not atypical for the, the shrinkage to be larger than the profit. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy because if you can eliminate shrinkage, you can more than double profit. Mm-hmm. And so if you can more than double profitability on a store after they pay us, so after they've already paid our fee for the technology, their profitability is still doubled, that retailer is delighted. Wow. They're really happy. They have an increased top line, an improved bottom line, and happy shoppers. Mm-hmm. And because retail, particularly grocery retail, is a notorious thin margin business, they're not going to hold all of that margin as profit. They're going to return some of it to the customer in the form of reduced prices. And now the customer's got a double incentive to go there, both better experience and cheaper. And that's part of why I say it's going to happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. Which is also interesting within the, within the context of checkout ready again, too, because it's really there's still enough financial use cases here before you even get into the quote-unquote cashier-free realm that make this attractive for both players. So that fascinating, fascinating. Mm-hmm. very well articulated. That makes sense. A ton of sense. For the audience, I had mentioned to to Will early on before we even started, I said, I think we could go for hours here just because this is such a hot topic for us. But I think now we've got to shift gears and, and kind of get you out of here on what is our signature close to the segment, which is if you're ready for it, Will, how millennial are you? 
there's a little bit in me, but I would say I'm not, I'm not full on. Well, let's let's ask you a couple of questions. I have a feeling you're going to do okay. I really do. Bit. I think you're going to do all right. When the option is available, this is actually a really funny one because I always use the example of going to the grocery store. <laughs> right. <one>. So <laughs> when the option is available and you're at the grocery store, if they don't have Grabango uh, fully installed yet, are you using a mobile payment like Apple Pay or Samsung Pay at the checkout or are you pulling out your credit card? I storm out in disgust. <laughs> you throw a tantrum. <laughs> this is crap. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> no, I actually do. I, I, I still do credit cards at the grocery store, but I do um, digital payments, Apple Pay at the gas pump. And if you ask me oh, why, wow. I don't even really know. I don't know why I'm, I'm a split user, but for some reason I am. One of those seems far more dangerous than the other. That's I can't quite understand whether, like, don't talk on your cell phones while pumping gas, but paying for <laughs> but gas is, pay. is totally yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody can figure that out or message us. But yeah. All right, Ed, question two. All right, number two. How many times in the last week have you ordered coffee or dinner, lunch uh, via an app? Hmm. So full disclosure, the last week has been an unusual week because the compressor on my refrigerator went out. It took me about a week to get the part to fix it. Okay. So... So typically not very often, a time or two, I cook and my wife cooks. We do a lot of home cooking at home, so we don't order a ton of food. But the last week, we've ordered almost every night on an app. Okay. Oh All right. What do you use? Am I allowed to say that? Am I choosing team? <laughs> you, I mean, you don't have to. That's fine. All right. Caviar and DoorDash are my favorites. Okay. And I have a, I have a, uh, I have an unfavored who I won't name because I think their UI is oppressive. Okay. Yeah, DoorDash. that's good. Yeah, yeah you know, Yeah, no, that's the way to go. Wait, nice approach. <laughs> nice approach there for sure. That's sure. What about Starbucks? Are you a big coffee guy, or do you, uh, you partake in that at all? I'm a, I'm a medium, I'm a medium coffee guy. I'll, okay. I'll take Pete's if there's a choice, but but I like Starbucks as well. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's always a big answer on that one too. So, all right, last question. Question number three. Last one. If you mm -hmm. could use only one social app. Which one would it be and why? Uh, see, here you're going to see me as a Luddite. LinkedIn. No, we hear that all the time. I think that's the uh, all-around favorite as of late. Yeah, for, our, for the people oh, we're interviewing. Terrible. Yeah, why do you say that, though, that's just out of curiosity? Why, do you, why did you pick it? It's, it's too much adulting. <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's true. That is true. That is a good point. Yeah, it's like, can you ever unconnect from work in some mm -hmm. ways? Yeah, that's at least that's how I feel. But, right, right. But why do you use it? What do you love about it? Like, why do you find it so valuable to you? You know, I, I, I use it. I use it. It's, it's a tool. It's not, it's not a social networking distraction. It's a tool. It's, it's a way mm -hmm. to connect to people who I sort of know or who I want to know. And I get inbounds on it all the time for people who I should be talking to. So I find it very useful in exactly the way that the, uh, the operators want me to find it useful. Right. But am I having a good time out there on, you know, Snapchat or house party? Not, not so much. All right. Dropping the house party in the I Snapchat. Know. All right. That's a first on this one, too. Man, you're a, you, you got a, you got a podcast. Think, you're a first today. I think that last one sealed the, the you're very yeah, millennial I think you deal. did. I think you did okay. Definitely. You definitely did all right. This is always fun when you play it back at the office, too, with your team. They're always going to be like, okay, I didn't know about you. All right. Street cred. House party. Uh, so, so that's great, man. Well, hey, that was awesome. I think actually to that last point, usually what we ask people to is just, you know, hopefully people found the discussion interesting today. If they want to learn more like what's the best way for them to get in touch with you hit you up on linkedin how should they do it linkedin is definitely good come to the grabango site there's a contact us page there too 
Um, you may want to talk to me personally, but there's obviously a large team of awesome people here at Kerbango, and so I may not be the one you want to talk to. But I'd love to. I love to connect with people out there. And and let me say before we go, I really appreciate both you guys. You two are, are some thoughtful people on this topic, and actually more generally. So I'm, I'm a fan of the podcast and uh, enjoyed this conversation as well. Awesome, Thanks, Will. Awesome. We did too. Yeah. It was great. Thanks for that. Other than you being originally from Berkeley, I thought this was a wonderful <laughs> podcast. And I won't, I won't hold, hold it, it against you in any way. But yeah, no, hopefully, like I said, this was a fantastic podcast. Great topic. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you're listening out there, again, it was Will Glazer, the CEO of Grabango. And from us to all of you, as always, be careful out there. <laughs>